Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about how they do their thing and how they hang in there. And this week, my guests, I have two of them, are both producers of the new play Exit Strategy, which is showing in Los Angeles at the LA LGBT Center, John Imperato and Adam Silver. And Adam also happens to be playing the lead character of a vice principal who... Let's just say he has a lot on his plate. Um, before we get to them, though, I want to get a plug-in for DennisAnyone.net. That's my website. Uh, you can see all the podcasts archived there. Occasionally, there'll be pictures that go with the different podcasts. Also, you can email me through that, and you can donate to my virtual tip jar, which helps me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast. And I want to get a shout-out to Greg Fomby for generously donating and uh, kicking a little in. I really appreciate it. Um, I also want to encourage you to check out my Patreon group. Once a month, I post a special episode of all-exclusive content. And this coming month, I think I'm going to do something. I forgot I had these. Um, I haven't posted it yet, but back in the day, I used to get celebrities to do my outgoing messages on my answering machine. And I think I have a whole bunch of them right in a row. So I'm going to dig out that tape, and I'm going to put that on the next Patreon episode, uh, which will come out probably the last day of the month. That's usually when I post them. Um, you can find out about that at patreon.com slash Dennis Anyone. Um, that's all the, the business for now. Um, without any further ado, here are John Imperato and Adam Silver. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the Davidson Valentini Theater at the LA Gay and Lesbian Center of the Village. I'm here with John Imperato and Adam Silver. They are both producers of this fantastic new show called Exit Strategy, and Adam also plays the lead. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dennis. Happy to be here. I love that we're right in the middle of the set. Like... We're yeah. using we are using furniture from the show. I'm kind of in it. Basically, I'm carrying I'm carrying yeah. the show on my back at this point. Right, right. You're a new character. I know I'm a new character. <laughs> um, the play is so good. The acting is so good, and it's about a school in Chicago that's kind of fighting to survive. And I really cared about that school. I, you know what I mean? It was like this crusade, you know. And that was really thrilling as an audience person to be. To be like, I want to stand up and fight too, you know? So how did the play come to you guys? Well, we did Ike Coulter's play Hit the Wall two years ago. which The was same a, play, right? Same play, right. It was, was, was probably the biggest, is the biggest hit in, in our 20-year history at the center. Yeah. So it was a huge hit. And I was looking at plays for the fall season, and nothing was speaking to me. So um, when Ike was out here, when we were doing a concert version of returning Hit the Wall to a musical... Um, That's I, awesome. I said, yeah, it's going to be amazing. I said, do you have anything else? And he said, yeah, I've got several things. So he sent me a few plays, and I, and I loved this one. And then... And then I called you, right, Adam? Is that what happened? Well, we did a little reading to sort of. Oh, see that's how right. We, we did. Felt a, that's right. That's right. And we loved it. It's just a, it's a fabulous script, and we yeah, like, we, we have we, to do this. Yeah, we did a reading of the play, and uh, four of the actors were, and the reading stayed with the show because after the reading, we were like, we don't need to do any auditions for these people. They're phenomenal, um, and. Uh, yeah, and so we just so yeah. I mean, I love Ike's work. I think he's got an amazing voice and an amazing ear, and uh, it's also a subject that nobody talks about. What's happening to our inner city schools and the destruction of them? And oddly enough, on Friday, the youth in Chicago took to the subways and the streets of Chicago because the mayor wants to offer wants to spend ninety million dollars to build a new um, police academy. 
for the policemen when they're tearing down schools. So the very thing that this play is about was happening in Chicago on Friday on Friday when the kids were saying, no, we don't need a $90 million police academy. We need our schools fixed and not closed down. Well, you get the feeling from watching it that this is something that happens there. They close down the schools. But what's supposed to happen to the kids? Do they not have a school or do they go somewhere else? They get displaced, which is really, I think, the issue here is because these kids get split up. They get sent to other neighborhoods. So it's sort of breaking up these neighborhoods. Right. The feeling of community is is gone because the kids are thrown into another school, a different program. Um, It's a space issue. They have too many buildings. Right. And not enough students. And, you know, of course... That's not really the case because these right. classes are enormous. Right. You know, right. so it's not really that there's there's not enough people. So it's, it's a huge epidemic in Chicago and, and across the country, really. Yeah. Are you from Chicago? Yeah, born and raised. I felt like, and I was reading in the program, a number of the act. there's a real Chicago connection right. to the people doing the show. There's uh, four of us who have lived in Chicago at one point, four out of the seven. Wow. So, and we did that on purpose. You know, we tried to find people... I'm always attracted to Chicago actors. There's a certain level of uh, authenticity to that style of acting. And well, I'll say this and get in trouble for it, but in my experience, Chicago actors are the most, they're the most amazing actors. That When I do auditions, if you're from Chicago, I already, like, my ears are up. Like, okay, I got a Chicago actor in this house auditioning, and I know they're going to be good. What is that about? Is it because in, out here maybe everyone's trying to get discovered and... And nobody's trying to get discovered. They're just doing it to do it. I think that's what it is. I mean, I grew up... I'm totally spoiled. I grew up going to Chicago Theater. Right. was a kid, I was going to see plays at Steppenwolf and the Goodman. And the acting's just good there, you know? And I think that's what it is. There's no fame. You can't, like, make a lot of money acting in Chicago. Right. You're just in it for the art. It's a theater time. It's one of the best theater in the country. And and I think that it, it has such... A good reputation for doing great work that you get really great actors from Chicago. Right. The other thing I want to say back to your other question was though what happens a lot, and I sharing this with me, is that when these kids get displaced, they often get in schools where they have don't have a similar amount of training, so they fall behind, they drop out. It's where the dropout rate is so high in Chicago because they're not up to speed. They right. Have, well, if you have to move, it takes it throws off your and, whole. And you're in a school with no trajectory, you old books. Like you're not you're not anywhere near the game plan that other students are. So you go to these schools, you get frustrated, you drop out, or your grades are so bad you quit. Yeah. So it's so it's a system where basically when you come to low income neighborhoods and inner city schools, they're being set up for failure. Right. It's not helping them to to, to graduate exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah. So what spoke to you about the character that you play, Adam? Um, I love his trajectory. I love where yeah. he starts and where he finishes. You know, I always like to play people who on the page seem awful. Uh, <laughs> Because I like the challenge of trying to find a way of making people like that relatable. Right. Um, and this character on the page seemed pretty awful to me. He's the administrator of the school. He's the vice principal. Vice of principal. The yeah. Right. So, and he's running the school. The principal has disappeared. Right. So he's sort of this kid that's in this position that he's right. totally not qualified for, and sort of fucks up at every turn. Right. And. Really is sort of awful in many ways. You do, be, think, you do befuddled very well. I do. I like <laughs> I know, that's, on that's you. about me as a human. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked. I was interested in sort of like a, a, a guy who was really trying to do his best, but couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like couldn't do do good at what he was trying trying at, and um, and I liked the idea of trying to make him relatable to an audience. You know, this really spoke to me as the way it feels in our culture now in our country, like. 
no matter how hard you try, it just you feel like you're up against so much uh, adversity. Mm-hmm. What about doing this play now? Um, well, is, I, is resonant I, for you guys. I, I think this, that's really it, right now. Life feels insurmountable. It's like I can open my computer every day and see some more, some other egregious thing right. that either Trump has done or some white supremacist has done or somebody's done. But it's like every day, it's that saying from the Shakespeare play, my mind can't study war no more. Right. I can't, that's the paraphrasing version of it. But I can't take it in anymore. Right. I mean, I, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. I'm not, like, as, as she says, I ain't having it. Right. I can't, I'm not having it. I ain't snacking on it. I, it it's so, it's, so I feel like... It, it, it's a play about an uphill battle with the odds against you, and that's how I feel every day since since Trump stole the election. Right. And you, but you, but it's still worth the fight, and that's what I took it's away worth from the fight. it. Yeah, beautiful. And, and the way that they bonded the the six yeah. different characters, and the way that their relationships played out, and every actor had their moment to shine. And yeah. you know, you, you mentioned this one monologue that was just. Somebody, like, hitting her ceiling of, like, I can't take it anymore. And it just goes to 11. And it's spectacular. Yeah. What was it like to audition somebody with that kind of... Was that something you asked for in the audition? This big... It's a, a monologue where somebody just loses their shit, yeah. basically. Yeah. It's a hard play, you know. Like, the actors have to be really funny and really quick and very real. I think a lot of it is written in, uh, you know, a very realistic style. And then right. there's a lot of it that's very poetic. And then a lot of it... You're yelling and screaming, so like it required like Lenisa, for example, the way she's able to do that, and then do the other scenes where she's just talking at the table real quick. I mean, it's it's a great deal of skill. I don't think we even auditioned that scene with her, did we? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't think we even auditioned that scene. That's. I mean, I think it's a tour de force moment. Yeah, yeah, and and she brought that to it. I think it's just who she is. Um, uh, Actually, you know. As a producer, I stay away for a while, and I let the director do what the director needs to do, and then I right. come in when I'm ready to give notes. Right. And so when I saw that scene, I was like, wow, it's really going to that fever pitch level. It's really right. going there. And I knew that she has this sort of little mini breakdown, but watching her do it, I was like, wow, that's going to just kill audiences. That's going to be fabulous. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of where she went. I mean, she's a brave actress where she took it. Yeah. I mean, they're all so brave. But the other thing, too, is with his character, with Ricky Hubble, it's one more way of setting up for failure because he, I love what Adam does in the show because very often he's a kid. There's the moment where they say, the guy says, oh, you, you're the Thai guy. And he gets all excited. Yeah, I'm the Thai guy. And he should be expelling this kid. But he goes right to a kid level with him. And you look at him, you go... This poor guy, he is just a kid, really, in many ways. He's in over his head. Yeah, and he's set up for failure because it's, he's not qualified for this position. Right. And, and you get that, and you feel for him. Because, you know, when you say you're a horrible character, I don't think people come out of that theater thinking you're a horrible no. character. No, yeah, you don't. I feel for him. I feel like, oh, he's part of the whole system of, of failure. Yeah, and he's got this tough job that yeah, nobody yeah. could do. Um, there's a gay relationship in the play, but it's not front and center, but it's a nice uh, texture to it. And yeah. I like that that's not what the play was about, mm-hmm. but it was part of it. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, that was one of my favorite things about this play, that it wasn't front and center, you know. Um, and also that it's sort of like a surprise, like you realize in that one scene, like, oh, they're together, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's an, it was an interesting relationship to play, to like be in that situation of working with someone and there's a great deal of conflict within their working situation but they're also like you know hooking up right and um it's one of my favorite things in the show I love that relationship I think it's really funny also sad you know because when the play starts to crumble yeah so does that relationship 
you know, and yeah. it's sort of devastating. And we were very lucky to get Remy um, to, to play the part of Luce because there's something about he's just got this buoyant spirit and yeah. he's, he, I, his, his physicality his is physicality, so right, right. He's, he's enduring always, he bounces on the entire scene so he's bouncing yeah. around and but it, it was I thought it was a great contrast to his stoicness to his because loose is his name and he's so yeah. loose right? right he's loose yes. and he's so stoic and I thought and he's always trying to win him he's not trying to reel him in to like say come on like you know just lighten up come on let, you know, let's go back let's do this let's go get smokes and um, and I just think the contrast is great, and I, and I love the relationship with them because I love the energy that that Remy brings to it, and that Adam already we've already seen that from Adam from the very beginning, from the top of the play. I love the way the play opens. Yes, I love the opening. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. The whole play is so it's such a knockout. Um, it gave me a new word. I like to maybe incorporate in my own life. Pfeiffering as a verb. <laughs> yes, Can you explain what pfeiffering is? Well, it's Michelle Pfeiffer from Dangerous Minds, of right. course. Yeah. I mean, this play like sort of messes with that that sort of genre of. It knows what teacher. genre it is. Right. Yeah, right. it's commenting on that that genre from you know that was very popular about fifteen yeah. years ago. Maybe. There are no victims in this classroom. Yeah, and yeah. Like, the nice white teacher comes in and saves the black children's lives. Right. And so the play sort of like turns that on its head a bit. Right. And um, you get accused. Of, you get accused of pfeiffering, right? <laughs> calling him Michelle yeah, Pfeiffer, yeah. telling him he's pfeiffering the school, right? And, and I love when they call him that. And he's like, "Well, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, right?" <laughs> right. right. She happens to be divine. Yeah, yeah. she's gorgeous. But even Mr. Holland's opus, it, and it's yes. the people of color in the play that are calling out, right? The, those particular movies that were basically about white people saving inner city schools. Yeah. You know, um, there's a wonderful Latina actress in the show, Maria. Oh man, she's dynamite, Spitfire. Yeah, I she I thought like she could play Jennifer Lopez playing Selena. Like in other words, like <laughs> she could somehow jump into that chain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adam, what is it like for you as an actor to be on the other side of the audition table as a producer and and having people come in and audition for you? I love the casting part. I mean, I I would say the one of the main things I like about producing is sort of bringing the right people into the fold. Yeah, I'm right. really excited about like finding people who I feel like really need to work on a certain project. You know, and I think we've had really good luck that the times we've worked together here just with really the right people. You know, no one's getting rich off of doing theater and it's uh, can be very unrewarding in many ways. It's fabulous in other ways, but it's you hard. really it's hard. It's hard work for not a lot of payoff. You want people who like live and breathe this shit, you know? And yeah. so I always really look for people who I feel like are in it for the right reasons and I love putting the right people in and I think that's one of the most fun things we get to do is sort of yeah. put the group together. And, and But he's being very much... Adam is a really good casting director and he... he I mean, casting, he does most of that. Right. Um, and, and several of the people in the cast are his students, his ex-students. So... Yeah, uh, it's sort of a mismatch of people. So two of the cast members were students of mine. Right. Two are from Chicago, people I knew from Chicago, and then two other are just people that we yeah. sort of met and knew from the L.A. theater scene. And, right. Uh, we got very lucky. This is a really exceptional, exceptional yeah. cast. And only one, Alan, Adam is one of those producers that... People have produced with me many times, and, right. and they're full of shit. They basically produce in name only. They don't want to do the right. part. They don't, yeah. they don't roll up the sleeves. Right. And Adam is involved with every level, every T being crossed, every I being dotted. And something was happening a couple weeks ago, and he, and he, and he called me and he said, 
I can't be the producer today because I got to go on tonight. I need to be the actor today. And I was right. like, okay, I get you. Switching hats. <laughs> but, but it's rare that that, that conversation ever happens with Adam and I. But it was like, nah, I got I to gotta do the show tonight. And yeah. Was like, I get you because he's the lead. He carries the play. My mom was there or something. I was nervous about her coming or whatever yeah. it is. But it's fun doing both. I mean, we work so well together. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. have such a great How, what, Have you produced together before? Hit, hit the, wall. the Wall. Right. Awesome. Actually, Hit the Wall was brought to me from Adam. That was a play he knew from Chicago. So I only met Ike and got Hit the Wall via Adam. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, there's one student that appears in the, in the play, and he's sensational. Isn't he amazing? What's his story? Where did you find him? He was a student of mine. I teach an acting class at AMDA. Uh, College and Conservatory of the Performing Arts, and Luke was in my class, and I knew the play in the back of my head, and I think I sort of knew that I was hoping we would do it here, and I remember looking at him one day and just thinking, well, he's, it's him. Luke's really sensational in a way that um, I haven't worked with someone that special before. I mean, he's really... Uh, he has two feature films right. coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, really, he's a star. This is interesting that you say that because as I was reading it and watching the show, there's a part of me that goes, why aren't they famous? Why aren't they on my TV every week? And maybe that's not the way we need to value careers or whatever. You know, like, do you know what I'm trying to, to ask about? I, I can name you 25 actors right now without thinking who are as good as anybody working in film and TV. What, I mean, you saw Ann Noble in The Goat. Ann Noble's yeah. one of the... She's amazing. She's, you know, she's phenomenal. You know, I can name so many without even thinking about it. Why someone gets to be famous and someone doesn't? Why someone gets a hit series and doesn't get a hit series? It's... And, and, and it's I'm the karmic wheel of fortune as, as an audience member. I can be bothered by that. I can feel yeah. like that's not right. How? What if you're living it? And maybe that's not what's important to you. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just a thought. But um, the, the 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 actor that played the student has got two big movies coming out. That's exciting. Yeah, he just booked a TV series. He's going to TV series. Good. We'll all say that we got to see him this close. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And what I love, John, is every time I come into this theater, it looks different. I'm not sure where I'm at. I can't remember where the door is. One time it's a nightclub. There's a jukebox. Now it looks like a school gym or something. There's been a boat. It's in the round. There's been a boat. And I helped make that boat with mismatch game card money. You told me you went yes, and bought some little thing. So I felt very proud of that boat. I bought the anchor. The anchor with the with the with some of the money from the mismatch game. Yeah, it's a traditional black box in yeah. the sense that you can do, you can take, the, there's a huge big booth. Right. That's comes and goes. It, if it hit the wall, the booth ended up being the be, the stand, the bandstand for the for right. the girl girl band in the air. But it, you can reinvent the space however you want. I love it. Well, and I it, love that you're willing to. You know, I think John's like very bold in that way. He's willing to sort of reinvent the space every single time. It right. You're never like, oh, you know what, this chairs we got them kind of set up nice. So no. let's just uh, make it it's a proscenium. So Someone just... came out to me on Saturday, Sunday night, we had that that great performance, and said, I love that. The walls were also echo- e- echoing. It was echoing, and the voices were echo- echoing. And it was just like it would be in in a high school room. It, that was so. And I was like, "Oh, that wasn't intentional." But yeah, I get I get it. But that was even. I wasn't even think of the echo being like it is in a brick schoolroom, which is this is what this turned yeah. into. Yeah. Adam, talk to me about your high school experience in relation to what you're doing now, because this is a school where. In the, in the play that is going to close and people are going to be displaced and everything like that. Was acting something that you hooked on in high school, was that a formative time for you in terms of where you've ended up? Um, yeah, I, uh, I did not have a high school experience like this play. Um, I come from a great deal of privilege in terms of that stuff. But, um, 
Yeah, I started acting. I started acting much younger, actually. Yeah. When I was like a kid in Chicago, and I had a very bizarre high school experience. I was sort of like halfway there, right? Halfway like living in the city and doing professional theater and uh, pretending I was 15 years older than I was. But um, smoking? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> At I auditions, guess all of it. Right. Really, I love though, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I had a, a sort of bizarre high school experience, but. Uh, I, I fell in love with theater, you know, very yeah. early in my life. As a Chicago kid, how important was John Hughes? Oh, very much. Did you feel like I'm, I should very be, much. every day should be like that kind yeah, of a movie? Yeah, I mean, those films are incredible. And they're yeah. so, I mean, that, those people exist. All of those people <laughs> felt very real to me, you know? I love it. Who yeah. was your favorite, who did you identify with? Like Ferris Bueller, or were you more Ducky? I was going to say Ducky was who I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> was like, Ducky. I'll take that as a compliment. Right. <laughs> um, you guys picked some questions from the observation deck, but first, John, I want to ask you about something. You're, what's your title here? The artistic director. Artistic director. When you started, did you think it would be so fulfilling in terms of pure theater, the theater producer in you? Because you you've really rocked that out in the last. Uh, number of years and winning awards and like turning this place into like top notch was that always your vision? Kind of. Yeah. To be honest, without sounding egotistical, I was like, you know, that's my background. I grew up in the theater. Right. I was an actor for a million years, and I thought because neither one of these were theaters. This was not a theater. The Bremberg was not a theater. It was a screening room. There was yeah. There was bad track body from nineteen seventies. This was a yoga room. I mean, there, there was no theater spaces. And uh, and after having been here for first for my first year doing other programs, I was bored. And I basically went to my bosses and said, "You're going to lose me. I'm bored." We built it, they came, what we wanted the village to be, it is, but I want a social cultural arts center, and I want to turn these places into two theaters, and they thought I was crazy, but by sheer dent of will, I did it. You did it? Yeah. For years, I've just got lights from theaters closing down. You, you were just like, you were kind of like, had this underground campaign, I, I was, and you were just like, oh, I'm going to take that lamp, that'll go good on a set. Like, that feels, is that what it was like? Four, four years ago, we got a, a light donation from a company, someone did it for us, and the staff was like... We don't have to paint them or sand them and scrape them. No, you can put them in the air. They're brand new. Right. They like, never had a brand new light. Yeah. And they weren't so, hand-me-downs. Right, exactly. You know, I, I'm on my fifth follow spot. I thought this, this is the last one I got from the evidence room when they closed down. Right. So, um, so it was a lot of sheer depth of will, a lot of just like literally – I went to the Gap and got the Gap to build me the stage in the Renberg. I mean, I don't know how. How did you do? I can't even get them to fold me a T-shirt. <laughs> Someone <laughs> knew somebody at the Gap, and I got to. I went to a meeting with them with their with their their charitable committee and said, I need a stage. And I, they, I don't know. I, somehow I just, I said, oh, you know about the gap where they do donations. Can I meet with them? And they were like, oh, I'll try to set up a meeting. And then I go in there and next thing I know, I got a check. Next time I need t-shirts, I need <laughs> to go to the gap. Where, which stage should they help donate? The, the, Renberg. Renberg, the one that you're on all the time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there was no stage there. It was so no this stage. was right at the beginning when you used to, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. But, but, but my goal was always like, I want a real social cultural arts that I want theater and I want, because I had the art gallery. Right, I was overseeing the art gallery, so I had that aspect already done because the gallery right. was built and they're beautiful. But I wanted theater space, and I always thought, well, that would be a celebrity house, the Renberg. That's right, two hundred seats. It's for people who can pack that. Right. That's for the you know Coco Perus, right. Margaret Tros, Kathy Griffins, those people. And um, but this was like this thought, black box could be anything. Yeah, and, and you know, cause I it's could, your, your sandbox exactly. And I thought we could do theater in here. And uh, and the first play I did in here was a huge success years ago, a million years ago, called well, Victory Dance. Okay, the very first one I ever did here by Jessica Litwack, a wonderful playwright. And um, it was just it was a runaway hit. And from that point on, it was like, let's go, let's let's do it. I love it. Like your little campaign worked. Yeah. Are you? Does it feel great? 
It feels. Do amazing. you ever? Are you able able to look and go? Look what we did. Sometimes, sometimes I walk. I walk to my parking lot through the Renberg lobby, right. and those posters are just a small percentage of them because it's been twenty years, and um, and I think, holy shit! And the other thing is like. Carol Channing's last performance was done here. You know, Nona Hedges from LaBelle. I love LaBelle. I grew up right. with Nona with LaBelle. Um, I remember and, Bette Midler was here. Bette Midler was here. Yeah, with Pat Lapone and Jennifer yeah. Lewis in one night. You know, and you Jesus. know, yeah, having know. A, my gay hat exploded. <laughs> having a sing off. <laughs> having a sing off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Jane Fonda and right. Liza. You know, I was the kid who grew up with obsessed, obsessed with Liza. Yeah, and like. And so, and these, there were all these posters there, and like I've worked with and gotten to know all these people, you know. Um, yeah, it's it, 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 I'm acutely aware of how lucky and yeah. blessed I well, am. Well, a lot of times when you introduce shows, you say you have the best job in the world, yeah, and you you believe it, yeah. And 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 my thanks to my bosses because they I, I don't know how they do it, but I have total artistic freedom. They don't even question me. I do what I'm, I do. I'm good at it. Thank God. And so I used to just do what I want to do, right. So I just love that it, it, in addition to all the other things you do, that the theater producer in you is really getting to shine. Yeah, so. and, having, and having a blast. All right. So let's do some of these fun questions. Are these the ones you picked, Adam? Oh, I don't know what I picked. Oh, let's okay. See, yeah, John, the ones I picked. These are the ones John picked. Okay. What was your favorite or most memorable birthday, John Imperato? Just recently, two years ago, I turned 60, and one of my best friends rented a penthouse villa in Venice overlooking the Piazza San Marco. Oh my God. And, and so we were literally hovering over the piazza in this three bedroom penthouse with a rooftop terrace. And I spent uh, eight days in Venice, just in, he- Venice is my favorite city in the world. Yeah. Always will be, always has been. And I feel like you go back in the time tunnel when you go to Venice because there's no sign of modern man. And we would literally eat dinner and I would get up with my, in the morning, I'm a cook, and I would go to the market on the water and with my little cart and get food and come back and make meals. And I feel like I lived in Venice. So I love it, was it. Venice, yeah. Venice at 60. That's amazing. Venice yeah. at 60. All right. Mm-hmm. Did you pick one, Adam? Yeah. Okay, here's a couple. Um, oh, Adam, what was on your lunchbox as a kid and how did you feel about it? Well, okay, so at my grade school, you could either bring a lunch or walk home for your lunch. And, right. Um, I would, uh, I would, my mom would make me a lunch, but I would tell the school that I was walking home for lunch and I would save up quarters to go take my friends out to lunch at this restaurant when I was in like third grade. And I would like invite people like, would you like to have lunch with me today at Palmer's? And I would take them out to lunch and none of the waitress ever, ever said anything to me. I was in third grade. You can imagine. And finally, like one teacher, like called my mom and was like, do you know that Adam like eats out lunch at this restaurant by himself? <laughs> This That's is amazing. a short film. This is a short film. It's it's a long. Long. I got away with it for like months and months. So you would go and you had enough money? Yeah, it was like they had a kid's menu. It was probably right. like, you know, a couple sure. bucks. Like really, and I would like, you know, just have a little money. You like the finer things. I really did. But yeah. the sophistication of that, like, I'm taking you out to lunch. Oh, it was like you'd get the invite. I'd be like, <laughs> hey, Cindy, would you like to join me? I'd like to take you out to Palmer's for a grilled cheese yeah. tomorrow. The pleasure of your company is yeah. just requested. It's a short yeah. film. My mom was really upset about that. I was, like, throwing out the lunches she made for me. That <laughs> yeah. was, like, the really the issue. Yeah. The issue wasn't the eating out. Does it still exist, Palmer's? Sure it does. Palmer's okay. Place, LaGrange Road. Oh, thank God it's still there. Okay. John, what's your best random celebrity sighting? When I first moved to L.A., a big jeep came by and cut me off, and I was like, "That fucking bitch!" Oh, God, 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 <laughs> you could totally swear, uh, yeah. That bitch cut me off, and I went to like 
bitch her out. Right. And it was Goldie Hawn. And <gasps> oh, my God. I know, I know. And I was like... She's I, my favorite. I know. And I, and I was like, you... Like that, I was like, "Excuse me," like, and I was like, "Oh, you're Goldie," and she went, "Hi," and she gave me that little gold, that little Goldie wave and smile. That literally, I was like, "I don't care if you cut me off." No. And I was so new to Hollywood and I hadn't seen any celebrity, and I was like, "Oh," my. and then I realized I was basically following her for like twenty blocks, right? Trying not to look, but I'm in a cheap LeBaron convertible, like it was, right. I was falling apart. This hideously orange LeBaron, orange LeBaron, like just a hideous car, the color of these walls, right? And um. And then I was like, I better make a turn because I think I'm scaring her. <laughs> I was just, just following her in the Jeep. It's amazing. And, yeah, yeah. She would be a great co- conversation with Coco. She's yeah, my favorite. She, yeah, she's she's kind of my favorite. All right, Adam, what movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? Oh, I saw um, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds when I was a very little boy. Did it freak you out? Oh, it fucked me up till this day. <laughs> I still sort of like react badly to groups of birds. That's, did you have nightmares? Yeah, it really troubled me as a kid. How did you see, did you see it on TV? Oh, I think my parents showed it to me. It's yeah. Marked up. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> Can I answer that one? Yes. So I was obsessed with Dustin Hoffman. As right. A kid, and I was like t- 13 or 14. And I was determined to see Midnight Cowboy. It was rated yeah. X. Remember I know. That? <laughs> so my friend Johnny Kelly worked as an usher in the theater. He's a great friend. Lived across the street. And he... We came up with the whole plan that I was going to watch the last showing of, of whatever daytime movie there was. And then as people were leaving, he put me behind the red velvet curtain of the theater with a stool. And I sat there for two hours till it was 8 o'clock at night. And then when the movie started, everyone was coming in, with all these crowded people coming in and whatnot, he tapped the curtain and I dashed in and got a seat. So I hid for two hours behind a curtain to see... Midnight Cowboy. I hope you get to tell that to Dustin Hoffman or John Boyd at some point. Did you get it? Did you like it? Well, first of all, John Boyd's ass in the opening credits did me in. <laughs> I was like, how old were you? I was 14. And, 14. I was, okay. and I was like, oh my God. But did I get it? No, of course not. I got enough to know that it, there was brilliance there. Right. And, and, and Ratso Rizzo is still my favorite But you probably felt so accomplished. Like, you got away with something. You were sophisticated. You both yeah. chose things that made you feel more grown up. Yeah. And right. I pulled off a little bit of a coup. Like we pulled it off yeah. somehow. Yeah. Next time you should have gone to lunch with him. That would be your <laughs> encore. Uh, John, this is the other one that you picked. Have you ever written a fan letter or an email? The only one was to Liza. I, I wrote one fan letter in my entire life, which was to Liza. When uh, after, after, would that have been? After Liza with a Z. Okay, the year of, of cabaret lies with a Z. Big year. And, yeah, and a big year. And I wrote her a fan letter. Never heard from her. But uh, but I think that I never heard from her. I was like, eh, they're never going to write you back. So I sort of gave up. Right. But it was the only time I ever felt motivated to. When lies with a Z was done on TV, I literally sat down and wrote her a letter saying, oh, my God, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I love you. And you're so wonderful and all that. But... But back then, you had to see it then, and you couldn't look at it. You couldn't rewatch it. You couldn't right. get it on video. You just had the what, memory. You just had the memory. But I got to tell her this story when I when I when, when I she met came her. here to yeah. do conversations. And she said, "Did I write you back?" And I said, "No." And she just went, "Ah, figures." And we just <laughs> yeah. Went, laughed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, "Ah, figured you have And I said, "But you're my only fan letter." And she was like, "Oh, that's great." So yeah, I got to tell her that story. But if the kid that wrote that had known that one day you would meet her, it would have blown your mind. Oh my God. Yeah, because we picked her up. At, we picked her up at the airport, and it was like you know, picking up Liza at the airport, and like in the car, and like we're riding the car, and she's like saying to me, "Oh, you're Italian." I said, "Yeah." And my friend Madonna was driving. And Madonna's Italian. And she goes, "Oh, I've got a, we've got a Manelli, a Cacciatore, and a Parato. It's the old Italians." And we were like, just all we were doing, telling about Italian recipes, food, Italian family, growing up, and like nothing about show business. But we rode from LAX to the village, talking about being Italian with Liza. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I love it. It. Like, it was like, really? This is just too much. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And she was couldn't have been sweeter. So cool. Full yeah. circle moment. Yeah. Um, I want everyone to come see Exit Strategy. It's like the best thing I've seen on stage in a long time. Oh, and the actors are so powerhouse and you can reach out and touch them. You shouldn't, right. but that's how close you are. Um, before I ask you one final question, how should people find out about tickets? Where do they go? What do they do? Um, go to the box office, which is, um, you can call the box office, which is 323-860-7300. Or just go to our website, which is uh, www.lalagb. I'm sorry, LA LGBT Center slash theater.org. There you takes go. You right, to the, right to the page. And it runs through? It runs through, we've got two or three more weekends. We have two weeks two, left. Two six weeks left. Shows two, left. Six okay. Shows. And only six shows left. Don't miss it. They're going to win stuff. It's going to be like one of those shows that people and talk about. We're gonna, once people know there's only six shows left, we're going to sell out. So yeah. get your tickets now because they're going to fly off the door. They're so good. Any chance you would extend? No, actors have gotten jobs, yeah. and when, you know it's this cast. Yeah, and we start losing people, you know, and the holidays are coming up. So yeah, all right. So g- get in there. Get in there. Yeah. Last question: What do you hope people get from Exit Strategy? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's the same thing I hoped people got from Hit the Wall. Actually, was that I hope it ignites people in one way or another. Both plays are, I think, about sort of revolution in very different ways. Mm-hmm. But I think it doesn't have to be directly about the school system. But I think it uh, will excite people to sort of fight back in their own lives, whatever that means for them. I love it. Yeah. It does fire you up. I yeah. will say that. It does, yeah. And, 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 and it's also, for me, it's like, how do you, how do you navigate really hard times? You know, what, yes. do you give up in really hard times? What do you do? Yeah, do you sit and be, like, how do you navigate? Because we're, 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 we're at war, theoretically. Yeah. Um, uh, and how do we regain it, dignity and, 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 and our freedoms and all that would be eroded? So, you know, m- my thing is, you know, you got to fight back. You, gotta, you can't give up. Yeah. It's all, it's, 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 you know, I've traveled a lot in my life. I've traveled all over the place. And we still have freedoms many people don't have. So... You know, we gotta, but, we, but we have to fight for those freedoms. Yeah. They're important. You can't take them for granted. No. no All right. No. Thank you so much for Thank doing you, the interview. Dennis. Thanks for Appreciate the wonderful it. show. Go Thank see you. Exit Strategy. You will not regret it. That's it. Thanks. Thanks. Thank Bye. You. Yay. Thanks again to John Imperato and Adam Silver. If you're in L.A., do yourself a favor and go see Exit Strategy. It's dynamite. Okay. So this happened. Um, I wanted to just say a little bit about the Harvey Weinstein mess. And the parade of women who have come out and talked about being sexually harassed, molested, raped by Harvey Weinstein over the years. Um, I don't have a lot. Like, it's not like I have the answers to this, but I was ruminating on it. And so many of them were women that I interviewed early in their careers when I was pretty new at journalism um, Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelina Jolie, Lauren Holly, Angie Everhart, Claire Forlani, like a lot of the women that have since come forward and at that time when they were first rising up. And back in the day when I first, I don't know, five or ten years of my journalism career, I, I really clicked a lot with actresses. And sometimes I would end up being friendly with them or socializing with them and it happened less as I got older and I look back and I think, what did I have then that was appealing to these, these actors, these, these stars, rising stars. And, you know, cause now I don't have any famous friends and I really miss it. No, that's not the point of the story. The point is what I realized is I wasn't that 
I was the opposite of Harvey Weinstein. I was like something that they had to do as part of their job, but they felt probably okay, probably safe with this gay guy that was just happy to be there. I don't know. Just something I've been thinking about. Like, I have so much more respect for what actresses have to go through. Like, you know, I don't know. If you if you follow the industry or you love movies or TV, it's easy to have opinions about everything. And, oh, like, for example, what happened to Rose McGowan? What did, you know, what did she do to her career? Or if so-and-so messed up their face? Or, like, all of these judgments we make from the outside... And we don't know. You know what they're dealing with? Getting raped and whether or not to take a settlement. And, you know, it cut them some fucking slack on the color of their hair. You know, like, I just, the minefield that it must be to pursue that. And I'm sure it happens in all businesses and in all industries. But to have Harvey Weinstein standing between you and your dream and you're 20, man, that's that's bad. I, I hope every bad thing that can happen to him happens to him. And then some more bad things as well. All right. I don't know if I made a lick of sense, but, um, you know, I put it out there. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. (laughs) 